I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup and So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize But listen, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life Yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan Heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man Got a cup in here, 52, man, give me a let's go blues I know Arbor, Unger, Picker, Plager, Rab, McDonald, Shock, Hall, Chris Moore, Patey, Harvey, Jimmy, Robert, Sabarin, Berenson, Thompson, Eggers, Hester, Barrow, Pierre, Plant, Jock, Plant, Gossip, Merrick, Richard, Bono, Stevenson, Davidson, St. Marseille, McCreary, Leffley, Eccles, Stonehawk, Palace, Harry, Talbot, Keenan, Stanley, Yassi, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan, heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man, got a cup near 52, man, give me a let's go blues. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, located on the best city on the Mississippi, the best in the Midwest. We've got that Stanley Cup power, too sweet to be sour. And if you're still clueless, we're talking about St. Louis. We are your home for St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin, joined as always by my running mate, the man called Wags. How's it going, bud? Oh, it's going great. A little disappointed about the uh, hockey game I had earlier today. Yeah. But, you know, you know, you win some, you lose some. Unfortunately, we lost today, but we get back on the horse next week and try and win another one. And at least you didn't get injured this time, which is good. Let's keep knocking on wood on that one. That's right. That's right. Got to got to wrap you up in bubble wrap, you know, before each game, because you're you you are a delicate soul. Oh, wow. 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 Mm. Laying it on thick, huh? Mm, yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. I'm, I, I, I shouldn't try to make you laugh too much because don't you still have a bum rib? Uh, it's getting better, actually. It's oh, it uh, okay. yeah, it, it's much, much better. I mean, there's still a little bit of residual pain, but for the most part, it's all good. I uh, I feel much better, and now I just hope that I don't, you know, aggravate it or, or like you said, injure something else. Well, I retract a delicate statement because that was spoken like a true hockey player right there. You know, just just rub some ice shavings on it. You know, numb the pain a little bit, and, and just get back out there. I, I love it. It's all you got to do. That's why I hockey players are the best in the world. Exactly. And that's why we uh, cover the game of hockey here. Uh, first of all, I want to uh, say thank you to all the love that we've gotten over the uh, Tom Calhoun episode that we had this past Thursday. We got a chance to chat with the uh, longtime Blues uh, public address announcer. 33 years, over 15, what is it, 1,500 games and hasn't missed one. Has not missed one at all. Um, I didn't know that. Until until we talk to him, and uh, uh, there's a guy that deserves an Ironman reward. It's Tom Calhoun. Oh, no doubt. And I was the same way. I thought he had missed at least a couple for you know my kids' graduations or something like that, but has not missed a game in his entire career. And I, I wish I had a job that I could go to every single day and not want to miss a game and and have that ability to you know dictate how things go. And and that's the greatest thing about it. And we talked to him about that is. Public address announcers have a way of shaping how the audience and the crowd reacts, and he yeah. does that so, so well. Yeah, exactly. You know, with the enthusiasm as well as professionalism, it's always a balance with uh, public address announcers. You know, you don't want to be too much of a homer, and you want to stay informative, and it's uh, it's it, it's a bit of an art, you know. So it's and Tom is is at the top of his art here when uh, when it comes to uh, St. Louis sports. That's for sure, and. Uh, 
one of his toughest duties, by the way, you know, of course, he he, you know, does uh, hockey public address announcing, which having experienced that myself in McKendry last season, uh, I know that when you get a lot of Europeans in in into a roster, pronunciation can be a challenge. Let's just say that. Um, and Tom Calhoun, when you're doing over 1500 games, I'm sure he's had some doozies over his time. But uh, the one that we talked about um, exclusively with him, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about a Chicago, certain Chicago Blackhawks player uh, before we got to this particular segment that we're going to play here. But uh, uh, you ever notice how the rest of the league wags has trouble with the name Petrangelo? Just a little bit. Yeah. And it's always different. It's never like the same kind of connotation. It is always different, no matter who it is. And good luck, Vegas. And 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 to as a point he's going to make here, the people that mispronounce Petrangelo insist that they are pronouncing it right. And let's go ahead and uh, uh, have Tom explain uh, the challenges of correcting uh, at least one national broadcaster of certain infamy of how to pronounce the name Petrangelo. Is it Petrangelo or is it something completely different? Because we know how you call it. Why do they keep messing it up? Well, uh, I'd like to know the answer to that question myself. Um, I will say this, that if you ask Alex Petrangelo how he pronounces his name, he will tell you it's Alex Petrangelo. It's not Peter Angelo. It's not Petra Angelo or any other kind of bastardization of the name. Uh, it is Alex Petrangelo. Chris Kerber and I have had this conversation, I don't know how many times, about people screwing up his name. Well, obviously, the people in Las Vegas are gonna, now going to have a yeah. chance to do that. So, um, But, you know, there's a couple of things going on there, I think. There was a guy in the league a long time ago, and I think it's ac actually Alex Petrangelo's uncle, who is playing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he pronounced... I'm sorry? I think it was a goaltender, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a goaltender. And yeah. I think... I think he, for whatever reason, allowed people to pronounce his name Peter Angelo. Yep. And, and so that's how a lot of people, especially old timers, remember how, how that name is supposed to be pronounced. Um, when he came on board with the Blues, I think Doug Armstrong and I think some of the other people in the organization who've been around for a while remembered maybe that. And, and somehow it became Petra Angelo. And if you probably interviewed Doug Armstrong today, I think that's how he would say the name. But, um, you know, the other thing was that somehow um, the color guy on NBC. Um, oh, uh, McGuire. Yeah, McGuire. Isn't it? Your name wouldn't come to me for a second. Somehow he, he got it in his head that it should be Petra Angelo. Uh, and. Mike Caruso, our wonderful PA or public relations guy with the Blues, actually challenged McGuire on that during the playoffs last year during the Stanley Cup run. Went up to him after a game and said, Mr. McGuire, why are you pronouncing Alex Petrangelo's name Petra Angelo? It's not that. And McGuire very um, self confidently said, well, I've known this guy since he was a little boy, and I know the family. 
and he pronounces it Alex Petraangelo. Or at least this is the story I was told of how that conversation went. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I'm telling the story anyway. And um, Mike said, well, you can believe that if you want. But if you ask him how he pronounces his name, he'll tell you it's Alex Petrangelo. And uh, not long after that, Mr. McGuire acquiesced and started calling him Alex Petrangelo on the air. So um, that's been uh, that's been a pet peeve of mine for a long time, that there was a portion of the hockey community who, no matter what you told them, were going to pronounce it, mis- mispronounce it. Uh, when it came time yeah i'm definitely one of those guys wags that yelled at my tv whenever mcguire or another national broadcaster would say peter angelo technically and as tom calhoun said technically you know they're not wrong because his uncle that's how he said his name but and, and i would love to know what the generational gap was that forced the change into Petrangelo from Peter Angelo? That's going to be one of like hockey's unsolved mysteries. Oh yeah, no question. I mean, the thing that really gets me though is th- these players are accessible. You know, Tom Calhoun and, and Chris Kerber and all these guys they 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 talk to Alex Petrangelo. They ask Alex Petrangelo, "How do you say your name?" So it's not like these players are closely guarded secrets, and they're saying. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how to say my name. You say it how you want, but I'm not going to tell you. You can ask them and say, hey, this is how I say my name. I'm the same way. My name is Wagon Connect. So I I get it. I get why Petrangelo is like that, but I also get why he doesn't correct anybody anymore because at this point in my life, I'm the same way. If somebody messes it up, it's like, okay, I know my last name. They screwed it up. Oh, well, I'm good enough for me. So maybe that's why Petro hasn't really corrected anybody from here on out. But tell you what, I just I don't understand the, the the lack of professionalism when it comes to trying to get a player's name right when it comes to national media. I don't either. And I don't understand. I mean, there are, you know, some broadcasters locally, you know, as well as nationally that just refuse to go to a coach before the game or like even go to like, say, like they're an opposing teams, you know, stadium, you know, they can go up to the PA guy. Yeah. And and ask him. I mean, I've 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 had to do that many times for an opposing team that may not be familiar with how the home team's uh, uh, player is coached. It's just it's just as simple as saying hello, you know. So and just and just and just track them a conversation. I mean, it's you know I know we're all on our phones these days, you know, looking up YouTube videos on how to do everything. Now, I mean, everyone's a master chef now because of YouTube. Like, have you noticed that? You know, like. Like, like, like you go, you go to like a relative's house, you know, and they'll cook this like amazing casserole that you've never, ever seen them cook in their life. I mean, they, the most basic, they can, they can make like a very basic green bean casserole. Just, you know, you, we've all had it, you know, it is it, simple as can be. And then the next time you go over, you have like five different cheeses in the, in the casserole, you know, you got, you know, like, you know, uh, bread, you know, crumbs in it. And just, it looks very special. And you ask them, Oh, Hey, was this like a family recipe? Oh no, I got it from YouTube. And I just kind of like, Oh, Oh, okay. But just <sighs> kind of down. But anyway, Back to the original point. <laughs> Back to the original point. You know, they uh, it's so simple just to uh, just to ask someone, you know, for pronunciations like and you want to talk about deep secrets. You know, you know I mean, you know, asking a player how to say his name isn't some sort of deep secret. As you said, my real last name is Willenbring and I use Franklin because 
I realize my name is kind of, it might be hard for people to, you know, grasp the first time I say it, you know? So it's like, you know, whenever you're broadcasting, Franklin sounds a lot easier than Willenbring. So there you go. You're in the struggle. You know, you, you, you know what that's like. So yeah, that's why I go by wags because exactly it's simple and it's, it's short and it, it I I kind of think it's memorable too. I mean, I've seen other people use that terminology before, but for me, it, it makes sense. And I think it fits for me. Just like the old Leonard Skinner song. We're simple kind of men that we are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. God, I'd throw in some Skinner in there. Rock and roll, baby. Um, but yeah, Tom Calhoun, that was part. That was from his uh, part two of our chat with him coming up this Thursday. So that's just one part of it as well. Uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, check that out for sure. If you're watching live, just uh, look us up on, on Google and, and just look for Blue Notes Podcast. You'll find us. Look up. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Google. All those uh, various places along with the rest of of our hockey podcast network brethren. Speaking of which we have a couple of new shows on the hockey podcast network. And in a normal year, two shows that would represent two blues rivals. So we have a new national predators uh, host. Uh, The show is called catfish on ice because it's Nashville and that they don't know any better Um, hosted by fan sided contributor, Chad Minton and, uh, Tell it as it is, is our new Colorado Avalanche uh, show hosted by fan-sided contributor Griffin Youngs. Now, you notice a theme there, fan-sided, invading the Hockey Podcast Network. Well, we might have something a little more to announce on that on that front very soon. Um, they've Now, also, a third uh, show that just started in this past month, they've been on with us for a couple of weeks, but we also wanted to, while we're spreading the Central Division love around, uh, give a shout out to our new Dallas host, the uh, Two Stars One Cup, not to be confused with the Blues uh, podcast, Two Guys One Cup. Uh, One Cup. Shout out to them as well, by the way. Um, Two Stars is hosted by Shippy and former NHLer Craig Ludwig. I remember Craig; uh, he had a really nice, uh, really like noticeable mustache. Oh, very, very pronounced. Yeah, it's also also a very funny character as well. So uh, check that out. So. Um, yeah, we have uh, three new Central Division uh, shows on the Hockey Podcast Network. I guess the old host just couldn't stand the heat of the regular season Western Conference champion, St. Louis Blues. No, unlike the Preds, we will not hang a banner for that. <laughs> so sorry. So sorry. But welcome to to our new shows. And of course, we're uh, in the works of getting some more new shows always on the Hockey Podcast Network. Check those out. Uh, but, of course, this is not a normal year, so uh, at least uh, two of those teams, it's looking like, will not be in the Blues division this year. Uh, the league wants to send the St. Louis Blues out west, and you know what that means, Wags? No. 9 p.m. weeknight starts. Whoa! Yeah! <laughs> Look, sleep is overrated, Wags. I mean, it, it, if it's on the whiteboard, it must be true. Of course, it's it's on the whiteboard and it's on the internet. So that's that, that's like a double whammy. That, that's a double lock right there. It has to be true that sleep is overrated. I guess. I mean, I you know, whenever the Blues and the Canucks, you know, had their playoffs, even when the Blues were home, uh, the home team, quote unquote, they had a lot of nine p.m. starts. You know, during that series, and uh, if you were around for Blue Notes during that period, you felt my venom and anger towards that. 
Um, now, of course, I'm a unique case. I'll admit I have to get up at two o'clock in the morning to do my job. That's not everyone. So, I mean, I'm a unique case there. And in theory, a nine o'clock start should be better for me. But I don't want to live life like a vampire, as wag as we talked about before we started recording here. Um, I'm thinking about all the other fans in St. Louis when it comes to these 9 p.m. starts that will probably be coming during the during the weeknight here. And, you know, it kind of just makes you wonder, Wags, if the NHL just has it out for St. Louis or it just it just St. Louis keeps getting unlucky with these games, Wags. I mean, I think it's more so unlucky because you, you look at it logistically and the blues are probably one of the closest teams to the rest of those Western, you know, Pacific division teams. I mean, yes, you got Minnesota. That's probably a little bit further West than the blues, but since we're a little bit closer toward to, to Colorado in a sense, yeah. it almost makes it look like that, you know, they went with the blues because geographically they are closer. So the, the travel is a little bit less. It's still a lot of travel, but yeah. it's a little bit less than Minnesota. But still, it it just looks like they're they're screwing over the Blues because they're taking away natural rivalries. Yeah, uh, they're they're putting a lot of these games at times where it's not the the normal fans, the everyday fans, the people that will watch Blues games no matter what. It's about the younger generation. It's the kids. It's the ones that aren't going to be able to stay up late to watch these games because they have to get up and go to school the next day. I mean, mm-hmm. you're essentially hurting a generation of fans potentially. Granted, yeah. it is only for a couple of months, but that could be enough. And when the NHL is a league that I wouldn't say it's struggling to build new fans, but has, you know, they're, they're sitting fourth or fifth in the rankings as far as, you know, hierarchy of who watches. You, you got to do whatever you can to build a new fan base. And by putting these games at, at nine o'clock, they run the risk of falling further behind. Yeah, they've they've been for most of my life, like the number four league, you know, in sports. I mean, at one point, they could have been number two or three in the 90s. It felt like the 90s, they were a lot hotter than they were, you know, than they are nowadays. And now MLS is threatening to uh, overtake them. But, um, you know, I when I first saw and we, we can kind of start going into the history of, you know, how these new divisions and all the rumors that have come out about them have transpired. So when, when talks started, it appeared the Blues would be in the Central Division with Chicago, Detroit, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Florida, Nashville, and Tampa. Minnesota would have to go west. And when, I will say this for Minnesota. Um, when I first saw that Minnesota would have to go out west, I, 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 I saw the map of how the Pacific would look with Minnesota with it. And I was like, wow, Minnesota is getting boned here. Uh-huh. Because, I mean, I mean they're, they're far north. Um, you know, their their closest rivals probably Winnipeg or Chicago, and they're losing Winnipeg because of you know the the Canada border situation. So when so Minnesota's closest rival in uh, the Pacific would be Colorado, but then once you get but that's all they have within a time zone. I mean Arizona, they would have to go out to I think Arizona's mountain, aren't they? Or they are, yeah, Arizona's mountain. Vegas is Pacific. It's kind of weird how that line works there. Um, but yeah, so they would only have Arizona and Colorado in the same time zone. Arizona would be still a long ass flight away. Then you got Vegas and then the California team. So that was going to be rough for Minnesota. I, I, I empathize with wild fans there. That's for sure. But as from the blues standpoint, you know, the blues would have had, I think their longest trip would have been Florida and Tampa, obviously, which, Hey, Going to Florida and Tampa in February, it's not a bad thing. It's no. not that's not a bad thing at all. And you get to, you know, have the reunion with uh, Pat Maroon in Tampa and 
Uh, it, it made a lot of sense. And, you know, I was interested in seeing, you know, Sidney Crosby against the Blues, you know, four times this season, I think would have been. So, hey, I mean, that, that would have been fun. Um, and I didn't have any issue with that central division as it was proposed. I thought it was a little weird that Pittsburgh was being separated from Philadelphia in that proposal because you're talking about breaking up rivalries. You don't break up Penguins and Flyers. No. So, so I always thought Pittsburgh and Carolina should have been swapped. And it turns out they have, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, and, you know, of course, Blues fans would have had a, you know, still kept the Hawks and Prez rivalries going. We get to beat up on the Red Wings as revenge for all those years of suffering they put us through in the, in the 90s and 2000s as we just went over in November. Don't bring that up again. I brought it up again. It happened. <laughs> It happened. And in fact, I, I feel we dedicated at least two or three, at least half of that, that month to the Red Wings, which yeah, I realize is probably going to put me in blues fan jail for that. I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, Carter Potts uh, from the Quack Reports, uh, our Anaheim Ducks podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. He notes that on the bright side, you get to stomp through California. That is true, which, by the way, he, he brings up an interesting point there. So California teams suck. They are uh, Anaheim's bad. San Jose is bad. Los Angeles is bad right now. All three are down and really not coming up for air anytime soon. This is a big change from when just a few years ago. Remember how frightening it was for Blues for the Blues to go into the state of California because all the California teams seem to have our number. You remember that? Oh, yeah, totally. And then a couple of years back when they ended up sweeping the California trip, I think it was like the first time they had done that in, in over two decades or something to that nature, that that was a huge, huge deal. Because at one point, all three of those teams were top Stanley Cup contenders. You know, Anaheim yeah. had won a cup. L.A. had won a couple cups. San Jose hadn't won a cup, but they were perennially in the finals or, you know, the Western Conference finals at least. And then Arizona, <clears throat> Arizona always played you tough. Uh, yep. But yeah, now well, ever since that 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 uh, sweep of California, it seems like things have really gone downhill for the those California teams. And I think the ultimate breaking point was when the Blues broke San Jose uh, the year they won the Cup. I mean, they literally broke San Jose. They did. I mean, I mean, I think um, if we had anyone from the Shark Hungry podcast here or any uh, Sharks fans watching or listening right now, um, by the time that series was done between the Blues and Sharks, half of the Sharks were in the infirmary, it felt like. I mean, they they were like down to, I think, three healthy lines, like their fourth line was all, you know, healthy scratch, you know, AHL type of guys. Carlson was broken. He still is broken. You know, quite frankly, he'll never. Yeah, I think that they're going to just hate that contract in very short order. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so all three of those teams are down. And that leads us to what we learned on Wednesday from Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic. So he tweets out that the Blues would actually be going out west with to join Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, uh, Dallas at the time, Los Angeles, San Jose, and Vegas. Now, of course, West Coast means starting road games two hours later, which means F you if you're a Monday through Friday scheduler, a nine to fiver. Um, it's either time to hit the espresso hard, you know, the following morning, or you just don't get to watch the Blues. Uh, and, of course, I had a chance to just witness the firestorm after the LeBron tweet came out. I mean, it was Blues fans were hot about uh -huh. this. They did not like the prospect of uh of starting these games late and yes 
um 100 megaton bomb as a guy 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 benting points that's actually a good analogy for that um and i would just i was i for, again for me it kind of doesn't matter for me personally you uh i mean nine o'clock for you is that the worst thing in the world um i mean it's not the worst thing in the world but it's definitely not ideal because like you i like to try and live a normal life for me which is you know go to work come home watch the game at a normal time and go to bed at a decent time. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm okay staying up and watching those West coast games when they go to the West coast, but yeah. there are times where I have to get up, you know, at four in the morning for my job as well. So those night before is I'm going to bed at nine o'clock, right? When the pucks dropped, uh, you know, when they had the Vancouver series in the bubble, uh, that's exactly what ended up happening is you had to go to, I had to go to bed when they yeah. dropped the puck. I'm like, what do I do? I remember one time we were going to do a live after uh, one of the games, and uh, I stayed up for it. It was like 12.30 in the morning, and I messaged you, Wags, you up? Wags, Wags, Wags. And and, and then when I realized when we were responding, I'm like, oh, great, you, you fell asleep. And then that's – I think that's when I dropped my, you know, piss and vinegar video about the 9 p.m. starts yes. or bullshit. Yep. You know, that that's when I dropped that video. Um, it, it's, it, it's hard for everyone when you have to start wait for hockey two hours later in the day. I, there's very few people. I feel this benefits one person that it does benefit. We'll get to here in just a little bit in his Aloha commentary. But as this maelstrom is going on on Twitter, you know, I had this image in my mind of Gary Bettman, you know, sitting at, you know, sitting at his desk in Toronto, signing off on these divisions while having to look Layla Anderson in the eyes while he does this a little girl who survived a rare and painful disease to support the team she loves only to be told that she can't watch that team because she needs to be in bed before midnight for school the next day what a concept her and thousands of little young blues fans that are are gonna get screwed by this deal that's what i was thinking at the time and it made me angry it made me angry. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't so much angry for me. I was angry for, you know, as you kind of point out earlier, Wags, the younger generation that are not going to be able to watch their beloved team that they, you know, may have latched onto during the Stanley Cup run. You know, that this is a cool thing now. And now they can't watch because they had to start at nine o'clock to accommodate the West Coasters. It's just, it's not, it, it wasn't fair. That, that, that was my, that was my response. But, and then, of course, I realized that Gary Bettman doesn't have the courage to do that, nor does he need to, to screw over fans like this. He's made a career out of it. So, you know, uh, that's uh, that's my thought on that. Uh, Carter Potts checking back in. He lives in the Mountain Time Zone, so East Coast time starts at 5 p.m. there, and Pacific starts at 8 p.m. So he gets it lucky. So he has nonstop hockey from the moment he gets home at 5 until 11 p.m. Um, at night. That and, and I got a taste of that this year because I work a wacky, weird, stupid, obnoxious, weird schedule. Uh, I work like basically like a two thirty to ten thirty in the morning, so I have to be at work at two thirty. You know, I'm a guy; I can roll out of bed at two and be ready and off to work at two thirty. And then you know, I leave you know ten ten thirty. And when the playoffs rolled around, when we had all those round robin games, I had hockey from like eleven a.m. when the game when the game started until like eleven p.m. So Carter, I know how it feels, <laughs> and it's it, it's it's a good feeling. I I, I definitely get that, but um, yeah. Um, so we we've had a couple of developments since that LeBron tweet and the initial maelstrom, and I guess the maelstrom 
got Greg Wyshynski's attention from ESPN. So he had a series of three tweets. Uh, if it wasn't that day, maybe the day after. Uh, actually, I think I think it was actually I think it was that day. So number one, regarding St. Louis being in the NHL Western Division and Minnesota being in the Central, heard the Wild didn't want to travel slash play out west versus remaining in the Central. Blues and broadcast partner actually preferred that travel and those start times, so they're seated west. And as Guy pointed out, we live in St. Louis, Wags, which means the Cardinals are the are the straw that stirs the drink here, whereas the Blues have always been kind of reduced to I kind of feel like a cult status, you know, in comparison to the Cardinals, you know, that you know kind of the underground, you know, sort of a sort of a fan base there, and um, I. I kind of got angry at the Cardinals there when I read that tweet because it's like, man, we're being dictated by the Cardinals here. And I just like, I'm a hockey guy. I've always, I mean, I, I like the Cardinals. I like baseball. Don't get me wrong, but I'm a hockey guy. And I feel this is, the, I felt this was kind of a slap in the face for me. Well, I mean, what, what did you think? Oh, yeah, totally. And it, it's not the first time that that's happened. I mean, how many years have the Blues fought the Cardinals when they were on KMOX? And a couple of different times they've, you know, had to move networks. I mean, they moved a couple of different times recently that, you know, including the move to 101 ESPN yep. this year. So, you know, it's always been the Cardinals running things here versus yeah. the Blues having any any sort of say. But I'll say this, with with the lack of things going on as far as the Cardinals are concerned, and if they don't bring back a guy like Gadier Molina and the fact that the Blues are recent champions and you start to see the excitement around this team, the winds of change might be shifting in the Blues' direction. It's going to take a little while, but it, this this might be a good. And this is another reason why moving to the West would be bad because you have an opportunity to sway a fan base potentially, and now you're going to have games that people can't listen to. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the, the other th- other takeaway here was the fact that was the thought that the regional sports network, which used to be Fox Sports Midwest, now it's going to be like something like Bally Sports Midwest, which is going to be weird we can talk about that you know as it gets closer to actually happening but uh um the fact that they were dictating or at least partially dictating where the blues play kind of irked me a little bit as well uh but that's kind of related to the cardinals thing so that uh drew a couple more tweets from washinsky um the second tweet kind of interesting considering the blues fans didn't seem too happy with the start times for road games you think but a couple of sources said Blues RSN preferred it to a slew of Eastern time zone teams in the Central. So that kind of drew some ire. And then he followed it up with yet another tweet. And he kind of back, he kind of walked that back a little bit, I felt. Further clarification as there's some pushback. You think my understanding is that Blues communicated to NHL that everyone on their end was on board with desire to move to Western Division, including RSN. RSN didn't push for the move, but was okay with it. So preferred here was a little bit too strong. So yeah, that's this is um, this is what happens when you uh, when when you have Twitter and unconfirmed sources, and uh, sometimes you end up eating your words, wags. A little bit. I've I've done that a couple of times, as I'm sure you may have experienced that as well. It's, yeah, it's, it's a free form of uh, get your get your thoughts out there in a quick moment. And then you look back and you go, Oh, I definitely should have thought about that. Yeah, exactly. It happens to the best of us, which is usually great. So, I mean, that was kind of a, it wasn't a total faux pas. It was just, he had to kind of clarify his statement a little bit. So, because it was, a, his first one was a little inflammatory. You think, um, 
And just to give you an idea of how fluid this whole musical chairs game has gone with these teams, which has all transpired within like the last three or four days, by the way, I should point out. Um, let's point out to a poll that we posted late last week. You want to talk about tweeting errors. So I, I posted a poll on the Blue Notes pod uh, Twitter account, you know, which um, right up there. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook at, fa- uh, at Blue Notes pod. Like, subscribe, click the bell, all that fun stuff. We appreciate it. Uh, we asked you can pick one of two. We pick one of these divisions. These are the toughest three teams in each division. Which one is the best for the Blues? First option was Vegas, Colorado, Dallas. Second option, Tampa, Columbus, Pittsburgh. And the third option, which I kind of threw in there last minute, Canada. Please annex St. Louis for this I'm fine season. With that. I'm fine with that. I mm, for 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 more reasons than one, I'd be fine with that too. But anyway. Um, the uh, the winner was Tampa, Columbus, Pittsburgh, which seemed to indicate that was the central division. Now, I say was the central division because I actually didn't realize that in LeBron's tweet, he did swap Pittsburgh and Carolina. So Pittsburgh would not be in that division, as one of our uh, listeners pointed out. I appreciate that. And in second was Canada. The Blues were down with, with the Canada division, which you want to talk about time zone and start time issues. Um Ask a Vancouver Canucks fan or a Montreal Canadiens fan how they feel about that. I, I feel we, I feel we don't have any right to bitch about that, honestly. No, not at all. I mean, that's the thing that's crazy about it is that you have you're literally taking Eastern teams to the West and Western teams to the East. That's that's going to be the worst, and that's the thing that sucks about the Canadian divisions is that you could see some really really good hockey games, but they're going to be on at times that no one's going to be able to watch them. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's going to be weird. I mean, the networks up there, Sportsnet and TSN are going to love it because it's going to be all Canada all the time. It's like it, it is like a Canadian broadcasting network's wet dream come to life, basically, you know, and, you know, and just think about that. You know, if St. Louis were annexed into Canada, I mean, you think that sometimes America gets a little jingoistic and patriotic. Watch like Hockey Night in Canada. You know, I I feel like, you know, if we if St. Louis was in Canada, I'd be getting yelled at because I haven't talked about good Canadian boys like, you know, Don Cherrywood in his hockey in his coach's corner every single night. Yeah. You, you take a drink every time he says good Canadian boy, you, you get snockered. I mean, it was just it's crazy. Um, but then, you know, so that option got 32 uh, percent. Tampa, Columbus, Pittsburgh got 39 percent in the last Vegas, Colorado, Dallas. And that was before it was announced that Dallas might be in the central and Minnesota goes out west, which we established earlier that Minnesota traveling west would be a painful experience. I don't know why Dallas gets the preferential treatment here unless this is Stanley Cup final preferential treatment, because think about this. Minnesota has the Minnesota Twins. We have the St. Louis Cardinals. Dallas has a Texas Rangers. Um, which one of those three teams plays out West in their division? Texas. Exactly. So why, why is it a big deal for them to go out West? I'm, you know, I'm, this whole thing has been kind of just, and sometimes it just leaves your head spinning, doesn't it? Oh, no question. Because it, there's a multiple amount of teams that are switching divisions almost on a daily basis. And, you know, I've had friends reach out and say, man, are you, are you pissed that the Blues are in the Western Conference? I go, until this is finalized, I, I can't really get too up in arms about it because we know that this is probably not going to be how it turns out. 
until they literally say, this is it, this is the schedule, this is where you're playing. I, I mean, I'm, I could get hot and bothered about it, but until it's official, I can't necessarily just be piling on the NHL. I mean, they're, they're trying to figure out the best way to make this work. It, it would it would work a lot better if Seattle was in the league at this point. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, but trying to figure out how to cram a central division team or two into the Western picture is difficult. The fact that Dallas is potentially getting moved out of that, that baffles me because like you said, the Rangers play in the West in baseball. Dallas is closer to Arizona, Vegas, and Colorado than the blues and Minnesota. I get the reasoning for why the blues might be that other team that goes to the West. Mm -hmm. But, but the fact that Dallas is potentially moving back to the central, that, that right there rubs me the wrong way if that is how it ends up being where Dallas moves into the central and the Blues and Wild have to go play out in the West. Well, there is a small silver lining here, as Jeremy Rutherford pointed out in a recent tweet. By the way, Rutherford also noted that this situation is still fluid. So by the time you listen to this episode, the Blues might be playing in the Metro for all I know. I <laughs> no, I have not, I have no freaking idea anymore. But um, Rutherford tweeted out regarding the Blues late night games in the Pacific Division. He offers some good perspective here, and that's why you know, like if you notice when I was making my Layla analogy, I was kind of like not fully into it because I've walked back a little bit uh, if they can make the following happen, as, as Rutherford points out. So uh, Rutherford says if and a big if they play 28 road games, which they're talking about a 56 game season. So you play 28 and 28 uh, blues would play four each in Dallas and Minnesota, which are central time, which is fine. Great. No problem. Um, and actually this, this is depending on whether it's Dallas or Minnesota that stays in the, um, Pacific or not four games in Colorado, which is mountain. It's one hour behind. We're used to, you know, blues games in Colorado. It's fine. You can deal um, with it. Yeah. Um, and, and as he notes here with Arizona, you would play four games in Arizona, which is mountain time as it stands. Like right now it's mountain time, but that changes the Pacific in March. Because Arizona, because Arizona is weird. They they have a weird time zone situation there. Like for the longest time, like and, and I think this is still the case. They just don't they don't they don't do daylight savings there. Yeah, I don't think they do. Yeah, so I you know, uh, Corey and Richie about that. That's right. That's right. And by the way, they uh, they were actually the 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 first team out west. By the way, to welcome us to the twenty twenty one Pacific Division. You know, so shout out to them as well. And uh, um. You know we can't we can't hit Arizona too bad because they took out the Predators in the uh, playoffs this year and uh, took the Predators to Ouchville, you know, which is a suburb of Phoenix, Arizona. You got to be careful in that hood, you know, Nashville fans. Um, but anyway, uh, so and so he note Rutherford notes there's a max of sixteen uh, Pacific time games and NHL has discussed some early starts. So what that means is you know with no fans allowed at California sporting events at this rate, maybe ever because at, they're, they're probably gonna be like the last state that allows fans in the games ever. Um, there's not a big deal for fans to, you know, get to the stadium by the time six o'clock, their time rolls around. So they could start games at five or six and that would be, you know, seven or eight o'clock for us here in St. Louis it might be a balance. It might it might be a way to mitigate these issues that people like me, you, Layla, and all the other Blues fans are having right now with these super late starts. Maybe they give us, you know, if the Blues are, say, in Anaheim against the Ducks, maybe they started at 6 o'clock local time there, 8 o'clock for us, and I think that's reasonable. 
Oh, yeah, no question about that. I mean, there's no reason to put those games on at a certain time if fans are having trouble getting to the games after work because they're not going to be getting to the games after work. And we've talked in the past about how they might be in a sort of, you know, pod structure as far as, you know, playing a couple games over a couple of days, like, you know, like a playoff series. So maybe you can even do that to where you can play a couple of back-to-backs. So maybe you do one early game and then the next night a a later game and and put it to where you've got an eight o'clock start time for us one night and then a nine o'clock the next night gives some teams rest. You can play back-to-backs and that's going to be how you're going to be able to fit a 56 game schedule into such a short amount of time either. So there's ways to play around with it to kind of appease all sorts of people while also giving the players ample time to rest while cramming a 56 game season into a short amount of time. Yeah. Cause they want to get this done by mid July, including Stanley cup, yep. you know, keep that in mind. That's the, the this is going to be jam city. So it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with like a potential taxi squad, you know, expanded rosters, you know, that, that all still has to be uh, ironed out. We'll probably get more details on that, especially if they're trying to, Get this started on January 13th, which, by the way, as we're recording this, it's December 13th. One month. One month away, and they need to have training camps, so they're hoping to do that two weeks before the start of the season. So, tick-tock, tick-tock. Christmas um, Day miracle? Yeah, could, could be. Could be. Um, as Guy points out, though, the loss of Chicago, Nashville, and Detroit will be the bigger issue with the time change. At least that's what he feels like. Wags, you disagree. I totally disagree. I mean, it's yeah, they're they're rivalries. I get it. I totally understand that. You don't want to lose the rivalries of Chicago and Nashville, which is growing. Uh, but it, it's it's one season. It's a shortened season. I had this argument with another friend of mine uh, on my other show. Is that it's one season? Okay, we're we were gonna beat up on Chicago at least this year. Detroit, another one of those that we could beat up on. Nashville is another team. I mean, they, they probably would have been beating up on them all year. And while that would have felt good and would have given us some easy wins, that's not the end all be all for me. I mean, yeah. you're going to lose it for one year. It's not like this is a permanent change. The blues aren't going to be in the West forever. It's a way to get the season done. So does that mean, you know, you don't see them what was it? Two, two, three years ago, we played Chicago, four of our five games in the first month. Did we yeah. even, did we even notice or realize that we didn't play Chicago but one more time the rest of the year? Did well, we, really we did it. We did it, at the, we did it at the time, you know, like the, during those first four games. But then as the season went on, it just kind of became a footnote. Yeah, it, it totally did. So, I mean, you're, you're going to sit there and say, oh, well, losing those games this year in a, in a weird season is it's going to be the bigger issue. No, it's not going to be the bigger issue because you're going to get those rivalries back. It's not going to go away. And the rivalries aren't what they used to be anyway. A lot of these things are friendly rivalries now because teams are, you know, players are switching teams left and right. You know, at one point, Troy Brower was an enemy and then Troy Brower became a hero in St. Louis. So the rivalry things are great and they're great for the fans. And and yeah, I want to continue to have those games, but for one season to get a full quote unquote season in, I'm okay with not seeing it. And who knows, maybe we'll see him in the playoffs and that makes it even sweeter. I feel the only team that really still makes, tries to make it like an old school rivalry with the blues is the predators. And that's because they're still learning how to hockey in Nashville. I mean, our, our podcast and the hockey podcast network is called catfish on ice. I mean, Come on, they're 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 they're, they're still figuring it out. They stole Detroit's octopus thing. That's that's where it came from. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I uh, I think some Detroit fans have a have a grievance with Nashville over that. But uh, um, you know, that's I, I I say think because I don't really care what Red Wings fans think 
anyway. So, you know. Um, and by the way, as Carter points out, with a large amount of people working from home, you can throw on a game while you finish work in regards to the whole starting games on the West Coast at like five or six local time. Yeah. So, and, and I know Los Angeles, like, like Los Angelinos, for instance, I know a couple people that live there. Traffic has never been better in Los Angeles for getting around. I mean, I've never been to Los Angeles. I want to someday just to see what all the hubbub is about, kind of. Um, but I've always heard nightmare stories about Los Angeles traffic. And you've seen videos of just like, you know, backups on the freeway. And I've heard from a couple, you know, multiple people that like you can actually move in Los Angeles now. It's it's kind of it's kind of neat. Isn't the skyline a lot clearer too? Like the, the the atmosphere in the ozone layer has actually repaired itself more, and things look clearer in LA as well because the fact that there's less emissions and less people out. I mean, you, you can you don't want to say that the pandemic was good in any way, shape, or form because it is it, a lot of people have died and there's been a lot of heartache that has gone around it. But there are been there have been pieces that you can look at and go, okay, we see what happens when we don't do this. Maybe we can take some of these good nuggets out of this and push forward and, and, you know, turn this into a bit of a win, hopefully. Well, I remember that being a local story here in St. Louis as well. Like like the first month or so when we were all in lockdown and, you know, I, I still had to drive to and from work. They hadn't you know figured out how to have me work from home yet. And um, the road, the highways are kind of like almost like a post-apocalyptic zombie land kind of a highway where there's like you maybe see a couple cars. But like I remember the local story here was that like after the first month, it was like verified that like the air quality here in St. Louis was a lot better because there wasn't as many cars on the road. Yeah. You know, so it just it's it, I don't think Los Angeles is uh, unique in that regard. Um, well, not every it turns out not every blues fan is uh hating the idea of playing out west more often uh as you know guy is our hawaii blues fan and he lives in wait for it hawaii oh and, wow i thought you were gonna say alaska <laughs> no oh mm, the, make we make his videos that he's done for us rather interesting i mean <laughs> i don't know how i can i don't know how i can green screen climbing up chinaman's hat but you know maybe maybe guy found out a way um and when the blues play all those west coast games um now, assuming they don't, you know, as we talked about, bump up those times, uh, Guy's going to have the chance to watch Blues hockey at 5 p.m. his time, which is a lot better than the 3 p.m. that he has to watch Blues games at right now. So he has an opinion, obviously, on this whole, you know, Blues to the Pacific idea, and is my, as you might think, he's in favor of it. Um, and he's going to share it in this week's Aloha Commentary after we tell you about another hockey podcast network show that almost almost was in the blues division once again this year. And then after that, I'm going to talk about another angle to the blues going to the Pacific here that we might be overlooking here. And that is the competitive balance between the two divisions. We'll talk about that when we come back after uh, this word from the jackets debrief, we've got hockey talk. Those are the moments you're a sports fan for. Um, those are the moments where you know you're down through nothing, and the team has this amazing comeback, and the guy who you want, who you really are thinking this needs to be the star of this team, has a hat trick. We've got beer. It has a unicorn on the can. An easy drinking beer that's just delicious. We want to help you understand the sport you love better. What kind of things are you looking for to understand the game better? What you know? What's a couple of things someone who's watching the game at home when things start up here in a few weeks, or if they're watching college hockey, what's going on right now? 
what kind of things would they be looking for to try and understand the game better, or what's happening in the game, that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question, and I think it's it's something that's evergreen. Um... Listen to Jackets Debrief, part of the Hockey Podcast Network, and available wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. And now the argument for the Blues playing in the Pacific. Aloha! Welcome to Blue Notes Podcast. I, the Hawaii Blues fan, host of the Blue Note Fan Report and a blog writer for Gateway City Sport. And this is my Aloha Commentary. Man, what a couple of weeks it's been in Blues Nation. First, we had Mount St. Helens erupt with Adidas coming out with the reverse retro jersey of the 90s clown jersey being red. Uh, man, the, you either liked it or you hated it. There's almost no in between, even though the poll that Jeremy Rutherford put out said that there was, didn't feel like me. And then, next Wednesday, Pierre Le- Lebrun, I hope I said that right, comes out with this tweet that says the Blues are going to be in the Western Division. Mount Vesuvius blows up. Well, first, let me talk a little bit about the reverse retro jersey. I actually happen to like them, and I do like the red. I like the symbolism, and I wrote an article for Gateway City Sports called Why Blues Fans Are Seeing Red. I hope you'll check it out. Now, that's my side, so I'm going to let pissed-off frontal Blues fan tell you his side. Take it away. Yeah, well, come on. We're the Blues, not the Reds. And yes, I know it was about the music, but it's spelled the same. We're still the Blues, not the Reds. Uh, oh, it just drives me crazy. Okay, I get all that. I like the red, you know, it's urban that stands for St. Louis. I like that. Um, I love the symbolism. I love the blue staff. It, it just, it's, to me, it really connects the team to St. Louis, and that I like. No. Now let's talk about no. the uh, extreme blow-up of Mount Vesuvius. Erlebron's tweet about the Blues going to the West. And one of the biggest things that came out about this was that the Blues and her broadcast partners were on board with uh, Fox Sports Midwest immediately, immediately took a step back and said they had nothing to do with that. Um, I reached out to Scott Warmer from the Blues pregame and postgame show on uh, Fox Sports, and he said that their PR guy told him that they had nothing to do with it and they don't have that kind of pull. They are one of the most watched regional networks, but they just don't have that much pull. You know, two sides of the story, we don't know, but that's the way way that seems. Um, and, and then there's a couple other things that are negative about it. I wrote an, I also wrote an article about this called Gateway to the Pacific. I really hope you check it out. I'm getting some great reviews on that. Uh, Mike Zeisberger from NHL.com told me it was great work. And I appreciate that, Mr. Zeisberger. So, disgruntled Blues fan, what do you think? Well, first of all, that makes no sense of Blues being in the West. Minnesota's further west. And then you take away the rivalries with Chicago and 
Nashville, and then the one we could do again with Detroit, especially beating up on those teams. And then we got to go to the West Coast and play all those late games. And don't walk over me again, damn it. I, I just, it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. Somebody's got their head. <laughs> okay, okay. We get it. You don't like being in the West. You know what? You're just too much negativity for me. Bye. Screw you. I'm out of here. Okay. So, uh, guys, as you can see, those are the two big topics that you get to talk about. You've already talked about the reverse retro to your red in the cheeks. So let's talk about the uh, blues to the west and, you know, the good things and the bad things about it. And, and one last thing. Today, the 13th of December, is Vladimir Tresinko's 29th birthday. So let's all say, happy birthday, Vladimir. Okay, guys, um, enjoy talking about this. This is Guy the Blues fan saying, aloha, mahalo. And I can't wait to see you on the next Aloha Commentary and Blue Note Fan Report. And please read my blog on Gateway City Sports. Aloha! Thanks a lot, Guy, for that Aloha commentary. A unique take this week where he uh, brought on his, like, evil, uh, you know, anti-nemesis, I guess, there. Yeah, his alter ego there that uh, was not too uh, happy about pretty much anything. No, I, like. I think that guy needs uh, needs a Xanax or two or, you know, something to, something to calm his nerves down a little bit. He, he sounded like those Blues fans from Wednesday on Twitter. Oh, yeah, they were... Uh... Ugh, they were a little bit hot, like you said earlier. I, I just, I, I wish people would just, I mean, take a chill pill, you know, step back. You know, we were Stanley Cup champions from a couple years ago. Things are going well. Yes, we lost Alex Petrangelo, but it's okay. Nothing's official yet until it's official. Yeah, get, get off so the Eads Bridge. Don't jump off the Eads Bridge into the Mississippi. It's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. It will be just fine. And I, I say that also be, just because I decide, I'm working on an article for Last Word on Hockey, which, of course, I uh, write for. And before I get to that, by the way, pause for a second here. Uh, getting back to Guy. Uh, Guy, as you mentioned, he writes for Gateway City Sports. And he did a very detailed article uh arguing for the blues you know going out to the pacific as well it's on gatewaycitysports.com please check that out he uh put a lot of time and effort into this i can i can just tell so uh, check that out he's uh uh doing a lot of writing for them now but uh anyways back to uh what i was going to get to here i'm writing for a last word on hockey i'm working on an article you know trying to explain which division would work out better competitively for the St. Louis Blues based on the Blues records against these teams over the past three seasons. And I chose the last three seasons because that's how long Vegas has been in. So I wanted to kind of keep it somewhat evil, uh, equal. And also, you know, after four or five years, there's, there's a lot of roster turnover. So I wanted to kind of keep things apples to apples as much as I could. So looking at the teams in the Pacific and the central, we'll start off with the Pacific here. Um, in the past three seasons, the Blues have a five and four record against the Anaheim Ducks and a plus five goal differential. So pretty good. Um, Arizona, Arizona's given us some issues as Sporty with Corey and Richie have uh, pointed out to us a couple times in the past. The Blues have three wins, five losses, and an overtime loss. 
and though and they are the they represent the worst goal differential uh in the among Pacific teams at a minus 13. So uh, they play the same style as the Blues and that's how we that's what we struggle against. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that's uh and of course they got our boy Clayton Keller there who's uh, looked pretty good against his home team. I think he likes playing against the Blues. I guess it's almost a show show off that hey, you should have taken me in the draft. <laughs> Anywho, uh Colorado, you know, now of course you know, Arizona has been a team that's been had has this share of ups and downs. You know, they're not they're not a bad team. They're not a good team. They're just they're kind of interesting. They're they're, they're it's an interesting situation there. Let's just let's just put it that way. Um, Colorado, we know all about Colorado. Colorado is a strong team. They have, in my opinion, the best center in hockey, Nathan yep. McKinnon. I think McKinnon surpassed McDavid. I Jay Fresh is an article going into that you know coming out here in the next couple of days check that out uh, friend of the program jay fresh by the way um so colorado you would think the blues would have just all sorts of issues against the avalanche uh the blues are nine and four against the uh, avalanche with a plus seven goal differential so abs are apparently fine coyotes are not abs are fine blues hockey go figure um, Los Angeles, the Blues have a five and three, a five and three record against them in a plus eleven goal differential. They had a couple blowouts in there against the Wild. A few issues. Uh, the Blues have a five and four record against the Wild in a plus four differential. And finally, San Jose, uh, five wins, one lost, one overtime loss, plus seven. And of course, that doesn't include the playoffs where they beat the Sharks to a pulp. You know, in in twenty nineteen. So. Um, and then Vegas, a team that has not beaten the Blues in regulation. Five wins, zero losses, four overtime losses. Peculiar. Uh, plus seven goal differential there. So the Blues can historically have handled Vegas. Um, overall, their record against these specific teams, 37, 21, and six overtime losses. A plus 27 goal differential and 80 points. Not bad. And, you know, it's so weird looking at all those, like, the good teams in that division, like Colorado and Vegas and, hell, I'll even throw Minnesota in there and be like, well, you know, the Blues can handle them. But then you look at Arizona. It's like, we have to be scared about Arizona. Isn't that, and they're going to be our, they're going to be like our actual Central Division um, rivals here in the next year. Because when Seattle comes in, Arizona comes to the Central. So, so so weird how you know you can have bad you know middle to bad teams be your bogey team. There's always one though. I mean, I think there's always a team that you know doesn't play well overall, but for some reason gets hyped to play you. And like I said, style matches what the Blues do. They're a fast physical team. They play the same sort of game, and you know that's that's something that takes the Blues off their game. So it makes sense. And every team has that. Every team has that that sort of under the radar nemesis that you're like, man, I don't like playing them. And unfortunately we're going to get that. Like you said, in the next year, we're going to, we're going to have that full time. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Welcome Corey and Richie. Yeah. Great. Mm. Uh, Central division. Uh, there is a team that does give the blues fits and it is an actual nemesis of the blues. We'll get to them here in a little bit. Um, against Carolina, the blues have a four and one record, a plus five goal differential. No problem there. Chicago, well, they've been our bitch for the past couple of years. We've won eight games, lost two, and uh, lost three overtime uh, overtime losses. So 
plus 14 goal differential. We scored 50 goals against the Blackhawks in the past three seasons. That's a lot. That's when Corey Crawford's not in net. That uh, that'll that'll happen. Yeah, the uh, you know the Forsberg and Subban and the 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 guys not named Crawford. Even even sometimes even when Corey Crawford was in the net, sometimes we would yep. light him up just because he's not the Crawford of old. Um, Columbus Blue Jackets used to be a rival uh, when the Blue Jackets started in the NHL. That was a nice rivalry until they went east. Um, four one and an overtime loss. So uh, basically four and two uh, plus three goal differential. Always a tough game against Columbus. I yes. feel like they're they're always a t- that, that's not a team you know that that is a fun time for the Blues, and I think that that comes down to their style. Yeah, uh, I agree one hundred percent. They're just like they're just like Arizona in that sense, and you, know, you can look at the record and say okay, four and two is pretty good, but then you look at that plus three goal differential. It just shows you that the games are close. It's not like you're getting blowout wins. Yeah. The, Games are close. They're one goal games. They're tough, tough games against Columbus. Yeah, exactly. It's always a buzzsaw going through uh, uh, Columbus. That's for sure. Dallas, tough opponent for the Blues. I mean, we remember the 2019 playoffs. We've talked about it ad nauseum here, and I still get PTSD over that series. Um, In the regular season, very even as well. The Blues, seven wins, five losses, two overtime losses, and just a plus two goal differential against the Stars. And that I I feel the Stars Blues rivalry. It's not as you kind of said. It's not like a real like blood hate rivalry at all. It's a friendly rivalry. I feel it's a very friendly rivalry because I've I've gotten along with Stars fans pretty well. But it it feels like a competitive rivalry where it's like you know you get these are just two teams just going at it you know every single time and they rarely games between the Blues and Stars rarely do they let you down. Oh yeah, not at all. And you know, Dallas fans are you know, you talk about how Nashville is still trying to learn hockey. Dallas knows hockey. They and do. It, they did a great job of, you know, kind of a grassroots campaign. They really brought hockey to the fans and taught them what it meant to be a hockey fan. Uh, so yeah, you've got knowledgeable fans, you've got a good ownership group, you've got a great arena, uh, and, and they they've done well with player development and signings to keep that team competitive and the style is good. The structure is good. And they're another team that, you know, they don't play the blue style, but they're, they're well run. Yeah. And that's something when you see, when you see a well-run team, you can appreciate it. And the fact that they're in our division means that that means they're a rival and they've yes. had great games some great series is, and you, you dread playing them, but you're also like, I kind of look forward to those games too. Yeah, I, I went to, you know, Blues Dallas uh, 2018 down to American Airlines. Beautiful arena. Uh, fans were very hyped for the whole game. I mean, they knew when to cheer, when to boo. I mean, they were very, as you said, you know, they, they know what they're doing now in Dallas. And it was a good presentation overall. If you're ever looking to do a road trip for a uh, Blues hockey game, you could do a lot worse than Dallas. Dallas was a good time. Don't go to Nashville. Whatever you do, don't go to Nashville. That I, I went there last year, and that was an experience, to say the least. Um, Detroit, never been. Um, Blues, I have pretty much had their way with the Red Wings the past few years. Uh, four and one record, plus nine. You know, as Red Wings have been down for a while, and they'll probably be down for a while longer. Uh, Florida, two and three record against Florida, and they're a minus five against the Panthers. Uh you know, I mean, Florida's a good team. I mean, so it, it shouldn't be too much of a surprise, but I can't remember a Blues-Panthers game because they just aren't memorable because there's, you're talking about cross-conferences and 
what's what's there's no storyline. So it's just kind of like when you, when I see two and three and a minus five goal differential, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That just means the the Blues don't get hyped for those games, and there's no reason yeah. to get hyped for them because they're not playing in in an arena that's full of fans. When they're playing in Florida, it's in Florida. Florida's not a, a team that has a lot of sexy names on it, although they yeah. have some really good players on that team. But it's just it's just one of those games that almost kind of kind of feels like a letdown whenever you play Florida. Yeah, I was like, I, I one of the games I went to last season. I think the I think Florida came to St. Louis. It was when the last season or the season before. And I remember it was like in November. So it was like the season was just starting out. And like I remember, I, I think that was a game that Florida won. And I was just kind of like, so. <laughs> so. Um, moving on. Uh, that's, probably, that's really all we can say about Florida, really. Um, Nashville. Now, this is a team. I, I pick on Nashville a lot because, um, as I said, they're still learning how to do the whole hockey thing in Nashville, I feel. Um, and yet the blues have a four, seven and two overtime loss record against Nashville. And they are a minus eight over the years against Nashville. Nashville gives the blues some issues. And I think, I think, uh, just as it was with Arizona wags, I think it's just the style of play. It is. They, they play a, an exactly same style as the blues and, and that stems from back in the Barry Trotz days too. I mean, yep. they were they were a thorn on our side when Barry Trotz was there, and that's continued throughout the other coaches that they've had. Uh, they they've had good goaltending, uh, and I think that's that's the thing that will I think bother me the most that if the Blues don't play in the Central this year is the fact that they're going to go up against they would go up against a national team that doesn't have a solid number one goaltender. Not and anymore, and that's something that they've had a lot. In their time, I mean, they had Pecorine, they had Chris Mason, they've had other guys that you look at him, you go, "Okay, that's their starter. He's good." And then the backups have been pretty decent as well. Well, they're going mm-hmm. into this season with a huge question mark at the goaltending position, and that was going to be the Blues' opportunity to kind of right the ship against Nashville in a sense during the regular season and the playoffs. Because uh, I did not like seeing them in the playoffs a few years ago either. I'll give Nashville as a team credit over the years because they're remarkably consistent in how they approach uh, the game of hockey. There's three hallmarks that I feel that Nashville Predators have over the years. Number one is uh, a rock-solid defense, deep and talented. I mean, that's a hallmark of Predators hockey right there. Number two a small army of overpaid, overrated centers. Um, they got rid of one this offseason with Kyle Turris, so they're only down to two. But uh, that's always been a hallmark of them. And number three is Scandinavian goaltending, you know, between Pecorine and the man of constant sorrows. You say sorrows. Now, I think in, in, in short, I think they're going to definitely try to push Askarov to the NHL sooner than later. He was their first round pick this year supposed to be one of the best goaltending prospects in years. And if they get that, position locked down in Nashville uh that four and seven record is it that might look good you know because they're secretly and don't 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 tell the Nashville podcast this but Nashville scares me a little bit (laughs) they do as me they do me as well Uh, they've always played the Blues tough uh they're a physical team there's I don't know if they have something and and I've talked about this on my other podcast that sometimes there's a, a franchise that has something on you uh, and it's a nugget in the back of your head. And it doesn't matter if, if new players come in or new coaches come in or anything like that. There's something within the organization 
that makes that franchise just something else in your mind. I mean, we talked about it with the with the Patriots and the Bills. Uh, you know, Buffalo, this is their year. They're they're playing well. Well, New England came into Buffalo and that game ended up being super ridiculously close without Tom Brady there. And it just goes back to that sometimes a franchise has something over you and it takes a huge defining moment to turn that around. Mm-hmm. And if the Blues don't find that defining moment in the next year or two, uh, watch out because Nashville yeah. with Tarov, it's it, it's going to be a bloodbath possibly. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, but you know, having experience in myself, I, I I joke earlier, but Bridgestone Arena in Nashville is inhospitable yeah. to opposing team fans. Um, the National Predators fans themselves, I dealt with when I went there for Thanksgiving last year. They were fine. I mean, and. You know, if uh, you know, I, if I if I were more up to it, it would have been fun to hang out with after the game, you know, because they're right along, um, you know, the the main drag where there's all the bars and the honky tonks there. So it's actually a good. It's a, it's a good time if you're a Nashville fan. Uh, but the pre- in-game presentation, like from the PA guy to just some of the stuff they do, not foreign road fan friendly. In fact, you can't actually you cannot actually buy a Nashville Predators ticket unless you live in certain zip codes around the Nashville area. That is how protective they are of, you know, making sure that's as inhospitable to road teams as possible. Uh, now, of course, Tennessee also is, it's legal to scalp tickets in Tennessee, so you can still get in, but um, it's Tennessee's weird, but it's, uh, it's a genius idea though. I mean, you look at it you, as an outside fan, you're pissed off about it, but that's kind of a genius idea. If, it if, is. if you have a fan base that will make that possible. Yeah. I, the Blues do, and I think that would be a great thing for the Blues to do, too. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, I mean, I I can see where the Blues might be hesitant to do that just simply because, like, if, if, if the Panthers come into town, you know, I mean, I don't know you're going to – if that's necessarily a sellout to the Blues. Okay. Like, whereas Nashville, I will say this, they do – they took a different approach to building their fan base in Nashville. They just took a very different approach and they've made it into definitely like a strong connection, more fan connected. I feel than a lot of teams do, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. It's kind of hard to explain. It's not, and again, it's not the best place. If you're a road, if you're, if you're a fan of the road team, it just, it just is not the best place, but it's, I mean, the arena is fine and it's just, it's just a hype atmosphere. If you're a Preds fan. So, I can't dog them too much. I just personally wasn't for me. Um, and then the final team in the central um, Tampa, uh, your Stanley cup champion, Tampa Bay lightning. Uh, the blues have had a four and two record against them over the years. The goal differential is zero. So they've, they, they, they're, they, they've scored 12 and they allowed 12 against Tampa. Uh, they play Tampa usually pretty well. Now that's another place, by the way, I, a few years ago, I went to a blues game in Tampa um at uh, i think it's called amelie arena big place it is like uh like a like a it's like united if you ever been to the united center no uh wags united center is probably about like 22 23 thousand people it is a big just it feels vast you know whereas you know enterprise uh, enterprise feels a little bit more intimate in comparison amelie's a big place cavernous and the fans there were just kind of like, it, it's kind of like when, you know, it, we were talking about like when the Panthers come to St. Louis, how fans were just kind of like, eh, it's, it's Florida whippy. I think they were kind of the same way when the blues were in town. It was just kind of like, well, it's the blues. It's fine. Yeah. But it's not a bad place to watch a game at all. 
but uh I'd love to go down there i really would that's it's you know they they have a good fast team and i, yeah. I like and the blues do play them very very tight you know a couple of years ago when they won in overtime that that was a game that they shouldn't have won i think they beat them twice that year uh, and in games that they shouldn't have won and, and that's just the mo for the blues well and also you know as inhospitable as nashville is to road team fans tampa on the other hand very hospitable to road fans because I felt like I, it was probably about 30% blues fans there, wow. honestly. And it's just it when you think about it though, we I went down there, it was it was it was February. And so snowbirds, easy to easy to go down there. I mean, flights are cheap to Tampa. I mean, you can fly out of uh, out of Belleville in on Allegiant and get there for like 150 bucks round trip. You know, it's it's super cheap. So and and it's it's you know, it's it's Tampa, so it's you're gonna have warm weather. And uh, seeing as it's lightning, it's good hockey as well. So, um, so in the end, after all that, the Blues in the past three years against the Central Division teams have a record of 37, 22, and eight overtime losses for 82 points. If that sounds familiar, the Blues had 80 points against the Pacific. The Blues have 82 points against the Central. The same amount of wins... Uh, within a few goals uh, in differential against each other. If anything, it leans slightly towards better for the Blues to be in the Pacific because they have a better goal differential. But these are two very even divisions. So there's really, as ter- in terms of that, if you're if you were worried about the Blues having to face Vegas and Colorado, well, I me mean, already face Colorado all the time anyway. If you were worried about the competitive balance, it's even. Which was which was shocking to me, Wags. It was, and, and it wasn't at the same time for me because, like I said, we've always played Colorado tough. I think the biggest surprise for me was the record against Vegas because I thought Vegas had our number uh, more than I than, than it shows. You know, the fact that we're five zero zero and four against them, yeah, shows that you know those games are close. They're going to be fun and competitive. But you look at that, and then you just look at the other teams. I, I knew Arizona was Arizona. Uh, Anaheim always seems to play us tough. I, I think I just look at it in the sense that when we play the Pacific Division teams, those games are always tough, hard fought, and mm-hmm. uh, despite having good records against those teams. And I think that's what worries me more is the fact that this might be a, a season more of gruelness, gruelingness or whatever. You yeah, call it. it's a grind. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a grind, whereas the Central Division's a little bit more, I wouldn't say wide open, but not as physical in a sense. And... Yeah, the records are going to be the same, but the wear and tear on the body might not be as bad as it would be playing all these heavier Pacific teams. Although we've talked in the, earlier in the show about how San Jose, LA, and uh, Anaheim are, are both are all three on kind of a downswing, so maybe they're not as going to be as physical as as we have been used to seeing. Yeah, exactly. And and to your point on Vegas, I mean, I think part of the the you know the records a little misleading. I feel because. I feel a lot of those overtime losses against Vegas happened this season. I don't actually have the breakdown in front of me. I feel the Blues did well against Vegas when they started, but I feel Vegas is kind of caught up. Yeah, oh, yeah. definitely, definitely. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And uh, of course, a uh, lot can change, you know, between when we're recording this and when this episode is actually published. So this could all be out of date, you know, by the time you listen to this finally. So um, we, we will, we will find out. Um, 
so we got uh, Tom Calhoun part two coming up wherever you get your podcast from this Thursday. Of course, it's audio only. So you got if you got Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast from, it will be there as well. And uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Wags. Uh, any final thoughts? Um, NHL wise? Not so much. Just waiting to see how things uh, filter out. I feel but, like you got something else on your mind. Yeah. Um, we, we're talking about all these announcements that are coming out mm-hmm. and, there, there was actually a, a pretty big one that did come out of California on, uh, I think it was Thursday when we released part one of the Calhoun interview. Disney had their their shareholders meeting on mm. last weekend. And, you know, they were talking about all the money they make and all that fun stuff, stuff that we as the normal people go ugh, millions and billions of dollars, what have you. But they announced a crap ton <laughs> of not just Star Wars related material, but Marvel and Pixar and all this other stuff that they have, you know, entities that they own. But the Star Wars stuff for me just hit me as like a gut punch because it seemed like everything that I've always wished and dreamed for came out in this announcement. You know, we have tie-ins to the Mandalorian. Well, first off, they announced that the third season of the Mandalorian comes out on December 25th of next year. So Christmas Day next year, season three of the Mandalorian. Hits, it's a whole year? A whole year. <sighs> and with, with the season wrapping up this coming Friday, it means you really, you're going to have to wait over a year because that'll be the week before Christmas. So yeah, a whole year. But two tie-ins that they have announced, you know, Rangers of the New Republic, which in my mind looks at a potential vehicle for the Cara Dune character played by Gina Carano and maybe a Bo-Katan uh, reference in there as well. So maybe a, a, I wouldn't say a buddy kind of show, but something that shows you a little bit more about the, the, the normal people in the army of the new Republic. Uh, and they did an Ahsoka series that they're going to be doing, which for me is huge because I was a big fan of the clone wars and Ahsoka Tano was one of the biggest bright spots of that. And to, uh, well, spoiler alert, um, she's going to come back. I'll, I'll leave it that, at that. I won't ruin how or why or when, but okay. she'll be back. And the fact that they're doing a show with her um, is it, huge because that's going to probably play out the ending of the, the Star Wars Rebels cartoon series that, that was out as well, which is highly recommended mm-hmm. uh, as well. You know, they announced the fact that Hayden Christensen is coming back to play Darth Vader in the Obi-Wan <laughs> series. Uh, that That's incredible. There's Good for him. He needs some work. He does. He does. And I think he gets a lot of bad rap for what he, you know, what the prequels did for him. And and I saw your, your Facebook tweet or post about it today, and you can explain yeah. that. Yeah, so basically, I it popped up on my Facebook today. First of all, I, I'm a Star Wars fan myself. I may not be as plugged in as Wags is. I, one time I may have been, but um, I was reminded of something I did five years ago, and that was watching all six Star Wars movies uh, before The uh, Force Awakens came out, which I remember the time before Force Awakens came out, and that was like the most exciting time to be a Star Wars fan, probably in my lifetime, even maybe even more so than the prequels because we kind of know how the prequels turned out. Um, But I think time is kind of forgiving the prequels a little bit, but that's another argument. Um, So I watched all six of those movies over the course of like one weekend. And one of the points that I made was that, yes, the prequels had some major writing dialogue storyline issues. That's very apparent I think Hayden Christensen did the best he could with what he had, and he got Jack's shit to work with. 
you know, as Darth Vader. It, the 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 story that they told with him and the 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 how he became Vader, not I didn't enjoy that, but Christensen tried. I I I put I put him strongly in the hey at least you tried you know kind of a category. Um, no, you're you're not gonna make you know convince me about the uh, um, inconveniences of sand you know, very well, you know, I mean, even, even if Sean Connery had that line to deliver, I mean, I would be like, come on, Sean, really? You know, it's just, it's, it's not the actor. It is. It, sometimes it's not the actor. Oftentimes it's the writing. Oh yeah. No question. And you know, I, you, you make that reference to the sand line and like, I get why they went that direction to an extent, because this is a guy, a kid that, was born a slave on a, on a desert planet, basically had to live with that his entire life. And, and sand brings up so many powerfully bad memories, you know, it, slavery, leaving his mother, uh, coming back and, and basically seeing her die in his arms. Yeah. Uh, I get why they went that direction, but once again, the writing wasn't there and, and I'll challenge you on this. And if you haven't watched the series, um, I, I challenge you or anybody else to, you need to watch the Clone Wars series because they do a phenomenal job of reestablishing the character arc for Anakin Skywalker. And it really makes you understand why he fell and became Darth Vader. And, you know, to that point, you know, congratulations, by the way, to Tim Goodman for winning the uh, jersey giveaway we had uh, last week. And as a thank you for giving him the jersey, Tim has hooked me up with uh, his Disney Plus account. So now I have no excuse to not be catching up on The Mandalorian. And I believe the, is the Clone Wars and uh, Star Wars yeah. Rebels on there? Everything is on there. So okay. you catch up with everything that's on there. I will admit, I, I, I'm a type of guy that I like to watch one series at a time. You know, just binge through each. I, I can only focus on one. And I'm finishing up the Shield right now. I, I I like to rewatch that every few years. And I'm in season. I'm in the final season right now. And I'll admit that I crammed about four or five episodes today just so I can get that out of the way and start on the Mandalorian, start on the Clone Wars, start on Rebels because you've got me hyped. Oh, it, they're, they're phenomenal. Dave Filoni and John Favreau combined can now take one, do whatever they want with, with star Wars. And I've got to catch up with, uh, you know, in time for all this new star Wars stuff to come out. I'm really hyped for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And I, and that's because getting back to the prequels, one shining light throughout that, those entire prequels was Ewan McGregor and his mm -hmm. portrayal of Obi-Wan Kenobi. He, uh, for all the crap in the prequels, and there was a lot of crap. Kenobi was, for one, the actor was great. The story was fine. With yeah. him. I don't have any real issues with how George Lucas wrote Obi-Wan Kenobi in the prequels. And Ewan McGregor was an excellent Kenobi. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do uh, with his own series and kind of filling that time between, you know, after the Clone Wars and before the rise of Luke Skywalker. That's 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 like, to me, one of the biggest voids in, in, in Star Wars lore that I want to see filled is Obi-Wan Kenobi in on Tatooine. Now, oh. granted, granted, he's on a desert. He's on a desert planet. So, I mean, how fun can tattoo Tatooine be, you know, for all those years as he be, as he's becoming old and crusty? But we'll find out. 
He'll I'm find sure. a way to do it. He will find a way to do it. Exactly right. And then he got, uh, you got a Lando uh, series coming yep. up. Um, now I'm. They haven't announced if it's Donald Glover coming back. Yeah. Well, see, I heard a really cool and unique idea as well to where they may be doing this as a vehicle for not only Daniel Glo- or Donald Glover, but also Billy D. Williams and basically making it to where it's kind of a, a flashback, flash forward kind of thing to where mm-hmm. you know the older Billy D. Williams character is doing this the, the post Rise of Skywalker thing where he's trying to help connect First Order Stormtroopers back with their family, but also kind of flashing back to the days of his youth and maybe seeing the the progression of the character arc of how he went from being this brash kind of gambler all for himself kind of person to becoming the Lando of the present where he's trying to reconnect families in search really of his, his own lost family. Cause his, his daughter was taken from him early in his life as well. So they could do something very, very interesting with that. And then, you know, you were talking about Obi-Wan and Ewan McGregor and, and, I don't know how many people know this or not, but he's actually the nephew of a guy that was in the original trilogy. Really? He was the nephew of the gentleman, Dennis, uh, or the guy that played Wedge Antilles in the first three. I remember. Yeah, I remember. I remember someone mentioning that. And that, that that's an interesting little factoid there. Well, and it, it's really, really close to me because, you know, Dennis Lawson was the car- was the guy who played Wedge Antilles. Yeah. And, and Wedge is my favorite non, you know, prominent character because the first book i ever picked up a star wars was a book in the rogue squadron series okay book series about the x-wing and 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 the most prominent x-wing group out there and wedge antilles was the guy that led it and it's a it's a 10 book series that goes through a couple of different iterations and it really shows you know a, a great depiction of you know squadron life and all that stuff and the the last thing that they announced at this disney event was that you know a new movie was coming out? Yeah, and it's going to be directed by Patty Jenkins, who did Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 1984. She is the daughter of a prominent former fighter pilot herself, and she is going to be doing a Rogue Squadron movie. And I about lost it when I heard that <laughs> announcement because that book series and that squadron was the 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 thing that really kind of cemented my Star Wars love. Yeah, and I have been since I first picked up that first book, I have wanted to see a Rogue Squadron movie. So this is like 15, 20 years in the making for me. So when they announced that, I I lost it. And it just essentially all these announcements have kind of made up for the crap year that 2020 is not to diminish, <laughs> minimize anything that's gone on. But everything that 2020 threw at us for me, that announcement about all the Star Wars and Marvel stuff has kind of saved the year in a sense. So you're kind of like Leia at the uh, end of Rogue One, where she just, you know, looking forward and saying, looking forward to 2021 and saying, hope. Exactly. 100%. Yeah, yeah I, I I, don't blame you for that at all. And I'm, I'm excited for Rogue Squadron, too, but for like a different reason, though. I, I didn't read the books, but I played the Nintendo 64 game when it came out. And I, I played that a lot because it was a that game was released actually as a direct response to Shadows of the Empire on N64. And it was in response to the first mission, which puts you on a snow speeder in Hoth. And that was like the best part of the game. You know, because the rest of the game was kind of a little disjointed. The controls weren't great on it. But the snow speeder and taking down those at-ats were just, that, that was a blast. And 
Nintendo and Lucasfilms got the hints and they made the N64 game, which was a really good game. And then I think there was like a couple GameCube games that came out after that. But uh, uh, yeah, all very exciting stuff. All very exciting stuff. And uh, none of it related to hockey because <laughs> because because we don't actually have hockey games to talk about at the moment. Hopefully that changes soon. So in the meantime, the Blues host Star Wars night. So there is a connection. That's true. There is. That's true. That is true. And uh in fact, you know, like I know, like I think every minor league hockey team in the AHL and ECHL hosts a Star Wars night. In fact, I think you can actually get a Star Wars jersey from the Fort Wayne Comets Certainly in their team can. store right now. So there you go. Um, anyway, that is going to do it for this episode of Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening and watching because without you, there is no me. There is no Wags. There is no Hawaii Blues fan. And there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump. Always play to the whistle. May the force be with you. And Jeremy Boyer, play us out. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.